Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Wanted to hop on real quick before we get into today's episode and wanted to let you know that the next seven-day Master Your Fasting Challenge starts November 1st. That is right. Right after Halloween, we get going with our next Master Your Fasting Challenge. If you want to lose weight before the holiday season ramps up while enjoying food guilt-free, if you want to get the scale moving and master your habits before the end of the year, so you can start 2024 with more momentum than ever before. Or if you're new to fasting or you just need to get back on track or break that plateau that you've been experiencing with your fasting lifestyle, then leverage the impending holiday season that is upon us and join us on the next Master Your Fasting Challenge. It comes up November 1st. We're gonna go live seven days inside of our private group. We're gonna teach you everything you need to know to level up your skills so you can have absolute control through this holiday season and create the fasting lifestyle that you've been looking for. So it's not just about the scale, it's about creating a life that you feel good and confident in your skin day in and day out. And our favorite time of year is to over deliver during the holiday season. So come join us, click the link in the show notes For more details, dates, and information, and we'll see you on the inside. Now to today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I'm here, as always, I'm a good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Excited for today's conversation. We're going to talk big picture of the metabolic effects of intermittent fasting. This was in the annual review of nutrition, volume 37 from 2017. I'm actually surprised we haven't done this episode before or this article before. (laughs) So excited to talk through some of those different groups and types of fasting that they looked at. Really cool stuff coming your way. If you're new to the podcast, I wanna welcome you in. Thank you for giving us a shot. Appreciate you listening. And our goal each and every episode is to give you one or two actionable things that you can put into your day-to-day life starting now. We want to help you adopt a fasting lifestyle, lose the weight, get healthy, and really, as it did for you and I, Tommy, gave us our lives back, hence the Fasting for Life name. Head back to episode one if you are new and you want to hear more about our story and why we come to you week in, week out. If you are a long-term listener, thank you as always. We want to give a shout out to one of our five-star fans. Obviously, yes. the five-star reviews are our favorite kind. Uh, and yes, uh, that's we we are grateful if you take the time to do that because that yeah. tells the podcast world that we're doing a good thing and that we're continuing to bring you value, which we will do each and every week. So Tommy, let's do a shout out and then we'll get into the metabolic effects of intermittent fasting. Yeah, thank you to 59 and done says new to <laughs> fasting. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming that's 59 and done, like done with the the yo-yo dieting and the, yeah, the weight loss roller coaster. We can, and we can make like it whatever that. we want, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm taking some, uh, some liberties here for sure. But he or she said new to fasting. I'm loving the technical breakdown of information on this podcast. Thank you. 
I've been doing IF for seven weeks and learning all that I can. I've tried a fast beyond 24 hours, but or I haven't tried that as of yet, but I've lost 14 pounds and enjoying the journey. Wow, that's incredible. Great work. Thanks for all you do. You're very welcome. And thank you for taking the time to leave that review and keep going. Keep pushing. You have more great results ahead of you for sure. One of the cool things about that that I love is 14 pounds down, right? Just starting. Mm -hmm. And so many people listening, me back in the day doing the old eat less, move more, macro calorie, you know, mm -hmm. extra cardio. Tracking. Yeah, yeah. tracking, all that stuff. I'd be like, 14 pounds. I want that. <laughs> like, what the heck? Did you just stop eating for 14 days? Like, how'd you get there? So I loved it that she gave the perspective. Nothing beyond has, 24 hours at yeah, this point. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So, huh. Because we don't typically recommend longer extended fast if your goal is sustainable weight loss. There mm -hmm. are benefits to longer extended fasting windows. Sure. And our position on this has changed, right? But yeah. the cool thing is that connection point, and I didn't even know this because I just asked you, hey, you want to do a shout out today? And you're like, yeah, great. <laughs> yep, so I, right even, here. I didn't even look, but the studies that we're going to look at are in this metabolic effects of intermittent fasting are all studies that looked at windows even much shorter than that. Mm. And they still had benefits. So nice. most folks come to fasting, not for its healing properties, but for the weight loss effects, right? So sure. they do go hand in hand. So I want to dive into this, Tommy. And the objective of this review on metabolic effects of intermittent fasting, you can head to the show notes and get the link as well. Mm -hmm. It provides an overview of the IF regimens and summarizes the evidence on the health benefits. So we're just talking about weight loss, right? Versus yeah. the overall health benefits of intermittent fasting and discusses some of the physiological mechanisms by which IF might lead to improved health outcomes. So mm. they went pretty broad here using PubMed terms, meaning intermittent fasting, fasting, time-restricted feeding, and food timing. And it was really cool that they broke it down into modified fasting regimens, their promotion on weight loss, and the potential next step on that, which would be the improvement of metabolic health. So we've done, I mean, if you've listened to the podcast, you can go back. We've done the majority of our episodes are typically around some form of research article or conversation around an outcome from a research article or the application of those inside of our groups and challenges and whatnot, right. never mind our personal lives. But there were the hypothesis that eating patterns that reduce or eliminate nighttime eating and prolonged nightly fasting may result in sustained improvements in human health, which is, we want that. We want you to unplug from the matrix. We want you to know that your health is in your control. And if you've been struggling to lose the weight and your labs are off and you're on the path to diabetes and blood sugar and cardiovascular disease and your family and friends and parents are dealing with it, right? Yep. That you have a choice. So these regimens that they look at are hypothesized influence metabolic regulation via circadian biology, the gut biome, modifiable lifestyle behaviors such as sleep and stress. And we talk about all of those. So I really feel like this is like, what is that alchemy term? The magnum opus, opus magnum, mm. like the big... Man, I'm so bad. That's all right. You give me your thoughts. <laughs> Almost on like the, the, the holy grail. <laughs> and I'll go. No, hold on. You're going to be like, yeah, dummy. Okay. This is the. Um, go ahead. What do you got? Magnum opus. Well, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. magnum opus. Yeah, I, I figured you had I it right. I guess um, myself. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. So you know, when I when I think about the term, like I love the title of this because it says metabolic effects, right? Because I know for me personally, I was hesitant, if not scared or fearful of intermittent fasting because I knew I had a, a significant amount of weight to lose, but I didn't want to, quote unquote, destroy my metabolism. I didn't want to have a negative effect on my metabolism. Right. So 
when we think about metabolism or metabolic effects, I want to keep in mind big picture that it encompasses so many interrelated systems within the body. And so when you think metabolism or metabolic effect, think immune response, your ability to heal, fight or prevent sickness, energy, sleep, your stress and stress response, your overall mood, reproductive hormones, libido, and even ability to bear children are all related to your overall metabolism, your efficiency of your metabolism and, and how well it's working. So it's not necessarily just about the number on the scale. It's about a whole lot more, more than that. So keep that in mind as we kind of go through this article. Yeah. And it's interesting because I love that, you know, as we're sitting here in, what year is it? 2023. For a little bit longer. <laughs> For a little bit longer. I just got used to writing 2023. And now we're going to be, they say, you know, if you looked back in October of 2016, this, this article was in 2017. If you just diet, fasting, intermittent, alternate day had more than 210,000 hits right? Mm. But in contrast, there was a shortage of evidence-based support for intermittent fasting that can be used to generate recommendations for public health practice. Yeah. So now, since then, there have been dozens to hundreds, we can't get to them all, but we have different, you know, research databases that we look at to see what the most recent, you know, we're going to be doing one that just came out a few days ago, right? When we're recording this, we tried to get mm -hmm. it, we couldn't get into it. It wasn't even released yet. We're like, man, right. I want, we have the pre-proof. Like, so there's so many more, there's now fasting studies in women and different, you know, population, healthy, women, yeah. obese, various metabolic conditions and protocols. Right. So yeah. since this statement, there is a ton more of science to back up the benefit. And one of the things that we typically say is, you know, fasting can adapt to any lifestyle. You can be vegan, vegetarian, carnivore, pescatarian, doesn't matter. You can believe in a whole host of different things when it comes to dietary advice, but fasting is one of those things that can be applied to anything in between. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the way it seemed in, in the public now compared to when it is then, and they were saying like, you know, diet recommendations back then related to intermittent fasting and intermittent caloric restriction. You know, there was a book published back then in 2013, The Fast Diet, right? you know, restricting energy intake severely for two days a week, but eating normally during the rest of the week, guess what? That turned into the 5-2 <laughs> diet, Yep. right? Yep. So there's this, this, this advancement of the clinical studies and what we're seeing. And now that we've taken and personally done it, but also taken thousands of people through the challenge framework and formula and mm. tens of thousands of downloads of our blueprint to fasting for fat loss, which is the free PDF. You can grab that in the show notes as well. You know, it was that human studies were largely limited to observational studies like religious fasting, like Ramadan. Mm -hmm. But that's not yeah. the case anymore. When we find a Ramadan study now, we're like, oh, interesting. Haven't seen one of those in a while. Right. Because that, that's all that, that they used to be back in the day. And now they're, they're having more proactive. These are the protocols and we're setting them up and actually looking at the effects of one versus the other, which is, which is really cool. We usually do still find some things where we go, well, if we set up that study, we'd, we'd do it a little bit differently, but you know, we can, we can only you know, take what we can find. <laughs> we accept any and all donations to the right. Fasting for Life Research Fund. Yes. Right. <laughs> I'm kidding. Keep going. Just give us a five-star review. We'll be good. <laughs> Yeah. So when, today. yeah, right. So when, when we look at this and, and we see some alternate day fasting, we see some modified, modified ADFs and we start looking at the regimens. It's interesting to see where those kind of come from, but they're looking for things like visceral fat, like leptin resistant and, you know, adiponectin. We have like all these different outcome measures. So they're basically like scraping through, you know, all of the available research back then from six years ago to work on 
on kind of comparing them against each other. So, so you, you find some various kind of protocols. Some are using, you know, a, a modified ADF where you, you bring in a mini meal. Some of them had, you know, just a, a full fasting window. Some of them were eight hour eating window. Some of them were six. But the important thing to note is we start looking at a study that's comparing studies. You're looking for trends overall. Can we identify some trends? Can we look to see that? you know, one protocol looks a little bit better than another? Or do we see that as we shrink the eating window, that maybe there's a beneficial effect in something that we're looking to improve, right? Or, you know, are the arrows moving in the direction that, not that we would like to see, but that would would make sense intuitively, at least in a certain patient population. So are we looking at normal weight or are we looking at overweight or obese? Where we tend to see different results in those groups. And we've gone through some some studies that that actually were, you know, just looking at normal weight individuals, which those get pretty interesting because now you're kind of separating the health effects from the weight. The weight seems to definitely be a drag on our health overall, but it gets really interesting when the the patient population doesn't really have weight to lose too. So just a few things to consider. Yeah, I love that last part. Especially if you if they're if you're in the camp that intermittent fasting is not helpful, right? Oh, it's the same as calorie restriction. Sure. Camp. In some of those studies, you had said jokingly prepping for this episode. Yeah, if I was trying to discount the effects of intermittent fasting, I would have set up the study <laughs> exactly that way. Meaning a ten hour eating window in a right. population that didn't have any weight to lose, right? So right. the connection point oh, I, with I this saw one, no effect here. <laughs> yeah. Of course figure. not. And right. it was three week, three days long and sample size N8. For the purpose of this review, the health outcomes of interest are changes in weight and in metabolic parameters associated with type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and cancers. So three of the top reasons for all-cause mortality. Three of the reasons why people die. It's like, oh, crap. Okay, well, I think we need to look at this a little bit differently or maybe apply it to our life a little bit differently. So we're going to look at some mechanisms, you know, with human health to the circadian rhythm or circadian biology, the gut biome, and that self-admittedly not an area that we focus a lot on, but we'll just share the results. Mm-hmm. Not our area that we, I feel that's above my pay grade, as I like to say, right? I don't have that <laughs> level of clearance. It's just not something we focus on. Yeah. It's classified. Yeah. I don't know. But the, <laughs> men in black, the little right. zapper. I'm really dating myself here. But the cool thing, this last category is the, the third one that I really like is modifiable lifestyle behavior, such as diet, activity, and sleep. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about sleep today. So here, let's just go start to go through some of them because you, you really framed out well the different variations and we're not going to go into each of these studies that they pulled out. But we'll talk first about alternate day fasting. This is a tool that we use a lot inside of our coaching and it involves eating full ad libitum nutrition one day and then a fasting day the following day. And then the modified version is where you would have a what they call we call a mini meal which would be 500 calorie meal for women and 600 calorie meal for men we would prefer to see them being protein paste that's our spin on it because we see a lot more hunger satiation and things like that because one of the side one of the things that they say after looking at the four intervention studies and some of the rodent studies and some of the the human studies when they look at the outcomes for adf there was one thing that really stood out and it said there is Hold on, let me find it here. I just lost lost it. It appears alternate day fasting appeared to result in weight loss as well as reductions in glucose and insulin concentrations, right? Bing, bing, bing. Mm, check, check, check. Nice. Yep. In the three studies evaluating, however, this fasting arrangement may not be practical because it leads to intense hunger on fasting days. Hmm. Hmm. 
Interesting. Interesting. Well, it's 2016. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Modified yeah. alternate day fasting regimens, the one we did describe, mini meal, right? Resulted in reduced weight with reductions ranging from 3.2% all the way up to 8% in a 12-week period, right? So mm. just, I mean, that's a big percent change. For sure. But there was mixed evidence in some other metabolic markers. But I want to discount that first part, Tommy, because there's another study that we found. And it's interesting. This came out in 2016. Mm-hmm. Right, that completely disputes this. Yeah, as far as as far as the hunger signals and how that works within ADF. Oh, I'm gonna it, eat the whole buffet the next day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Yeah, that's not gonna be a lot of fun. But you know, it, if I came off of a, a vacation or a more indulgent kind of you know time of life, or may, hey, maybe I was just gaining weight, and then all of a sudden one day I just go, okay, everything's changing tomorrow. That might be the time where if I just jumped right into an ADF at that point, then I could feel some intense hunger, some some frustration. Might be hard to make it through that next full day of fasting for sure. So. We don't know exactly how these people were kind of prepped going into that, but you know, there's a reason why we put intention behind, you know, those kind of things without just jumping straight into a into a longer fast, you know? But right. yeah. Yeah. So I like where you're going with that because ADF, this is the, the study that counteracts this is show it was sixty person study, eight week ADF protocol, right? So we talked about mm-hmm. this. If you're just thinking about this, you're like, man, I've never done a twenty four hour fast to the point of fifty nine and done, right? Yep. The review that mm-hmm. we got. It was you know, I've never done longer than 24. Well, if you do a true ADF, you're pushing into the 38 to 40 plus range, right? If I yeah, do my 42, math, 42, 44, 42 yeah. 44, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be starving. I'm going to eat like Ponderosa. <laughs> Here I come. Lubies or, you know, I don't know what else. What other right. buffets Golden Corral. Golden yeah. Corral. There you go. They're all regional. Yeah. Right. So I think Ponderosa is a Northeast thing. So uh, okay. hold it against me. Listeners. E- either way, none of them would be a good idea at that point. No, I'm just no, going to no, say no. that as a blanket so, statement. Yeah, right. Thank you. <laughs> for, I didn't know if that was clear. So what they found was in this eight weeks, the body weight decreased, visceral fat mass decreased, fat-free mass decreased, resting metabolic rate came down about 28 calories a day, which mm. if you've lost the weight, they oh, lost. That's a drop like in the bucket. Percent, yeah. yeah. 8% of their body weight. Yeah. Um, that's great. Right. Fasting leptin and insulin decreased while AUC, we did a whole episode on this area under the curve, ghrelin levels increased. Mm. So ghrelin is the growl. I'm hungry. Right. Well, ghrelin will naturally increase because it's a mechanical response to an empty stomach. So it's Mm. not one of the other four types of hunger. It's a physical metabolic response. It's a a mechanical response. There's the emotional hunger, the time based hunger. And then the physical hunger, so from other categories of hunger. So the interesting thing was, despite these changes, there was no increase in subjective hunger by the end of the study. Furthermore, Mm. fullness in PYY, which is in the cytokine, there's another one, cholecystokine and KK, those fullness and PYY hormones increased. So there is an absence of a compensatory increase in hunger in conjunction with an increase in sensations of fullness. So Contrary to what this first, this article that we found saying, eh, it appears to be great for all these things. However, hmm. people say that they're hungrier and it's like, all not right. exactly. Yeah. So that's the and encouragement it, part. It might even start off that way and then yes. quickly kind of 
kind of come down, you know, and then by your, Hey, the, the first time I did it, I didn't break my fast in, in such a way that it, it helped with the hunger, but Hey, you know what? The next time I do it, probably going to do something a little bit better too, you know? And then a few days into it might be a little bit less hungry. So not feeling, you're not fearing the ravenous nature of like when you go to break your fast, which can be part of the like, Oh, okay. Let me just, let me just start eating. You know, and then you kind of just go at it a little too fast. And, and here we have the buffet effect. And then I'm, I'm not feeling well after that. Right. Well, here's the caveat, too. And they say this in the article. And then I seemingly almost contradict themselves. One caveat of the ADF research was that normal weight adults, three out of the four studies were normal weight adults and N was 16. So a very mm. small size, sample size, and a, yeah. a non-overweight, no, non-metabolically potentially disrupted individual. So... It says at the very end, noted participants reported considerable hunger. Yeah. Where's your fat cells? Where, where's your other energy? Where's your ketones? Right? Like, right. yeah, of course. So then they go on to say, however, reports on extreme hunger while fasting indicate this may not be a feasible public health intervention. Well, the other study says opposite, right? It says mm, the complete yeah. other side. So this is one of the things, oh, what's the best fasting schedule for me? Oh, what's right. it? I don't know. You need to play around with it. Everybody's a little bit different, right? So mm. that's kind of anything else to say on ADF, Tommy? I think yeah, I, just, you know, one, one other thing would be, yeah, just, just to further your, your previous point, if you had 20 extra pounds around your midsection, those hunger cues might have balanced out even a little bit faster because as you start to actually be able to tap into those rather than your body just going, okay, well, not really sure what to burn now because I got no food coming in and I don't really have extra fat stores too. So if you're, if you're coming to it and you're using ADF you know, during a fat loss phase, then those hunger cues might have a chance to balance even a little bit faster. Yeah. So the next category they went into was the modified fasting regimens. And this is more of like a 5-2 diet, right? Where normal ad libitum intake on five days and then two days of, of 20 to 25% restriction. So that's not really mm. fasting. <laughs> Like fasting like days, alternating reduced calorie. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's kind of like the modified ADF where you get about 500 to 600 calories, right? Yeah. So interestingly, they looked at a bunch of mice studies, but when we look at the, the nine trials in humans, of the nine studies, only one instituted exercise. So there wasn't a really hunger stimulated by exercise component. Seven of the nine reported statistically significant weight loss, right? as well as three of the six found significant decreases in fasting insulin and some found one to three, it looks like three here, found reduces in fasting glucose. There was mm. also studies that showed these same studies, improvements in LDL, triglycerides, improvements in inflammatory markers, C-reactive pro protein, wow. necrosis nice. factor, adiponectin, leptin, brain-derived neutrophic factor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even so, without a whole bunch of fasting. Just, so, but some compartmentalization of, of eating times on a consistent basis. So this wasn't just about the scale, right? These studies, mm -hmm. this, this was, you know, ranging from 1.1 all the way up to 6.5 mean weight loss exercise included, not ex included 20 to 25% on certain days, other days, not right. So there was a lot more flexibility in this. And this is why we like to say this, and we've kind of been moving in this direction is a single fast of any length is better than no fast. Yeah. A thousand percent. Just don't throw the baby out with the bathwater if you're struggling. Right, right. Set a timer, check a box, get a win. Right. It's actually one of the reasons why I don't love five two because I feel like if you if you put going. those yeah if you put those two days next to each other then it can be like almost a full week when I felt like I was kind of off fasting in a little bit right and then it, it's coming reps. back on yeah and it, where where are my reps coming from and I can 
some of the habits are actually just being off and off fasting. Whereas we like the the opposite side of that, which would be more of adapting it as a as a lifestyle where I'm not judging myself on the necessarily the length of my fast. Like I'm I'm not gonna to live and die by by the length of my next fast, but I'd much rather set a 14 hour, you know, fasting timer than no fasting timer and then just kind of see where the results, you know, might fall. Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently. Um, and now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code uh, fasting for life to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, uh, my little guy, my two-year-old has not slept consistently through the night uh, since he was born. We have tried everything you can imagine. He's our third child. And we're just like, what is happening? So we have gone to great lengths, time, money, and effort to figure out um, how we can help him sleep. And uh, the reality is uh, we were pretty much just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be until we put the Air Doctor Pro in his room. And I am not joking when I tell you the first night that we put it in his room, he slept through the night. The second night, slept through the night. Now we're up to 35 plus days that he has slept through the night. He has only woken up two times, rather than two, three times a night, two times in the last 35 days and counting. And we are just so incredibly grateful. The reality is uh, we had a feeling that it was something that we were missing. And the indoor air, air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air these days. In some cases, up to 100 times more. We spend 90% of our time indoors. And we take 20,000 breaths a day. So what's the solution? an air purifier, a cut above the rest. I'm not going to lie. We have tried others. We've tried other HEPA filters. We've tried other air filters. We have spent the money and they have not done the results that Air Doctor did in literally the first day that we put it in his room. They filter out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants. That includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. So I don't know what it was that was keeping them up, but it is now gone. So Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com. Use promo code fasting for life to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. An exclusive listener um, offer for you as well. You'll receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. That's exclusive to you, the podcast listener, now hearing this in real time. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code fasting for life. You guys know that we are very particular with who we partner with. And if it wasn't for this incredible company and this, the incredible results that we've seen, I would not be encouraging you to head to the website and take advantage of the fasting for life promo code. So if you support our sponsors, you are ultimately supporting us. We are grateful for you listening in. And now back to today's episode. The next category that they looked at was the time-restricted feeding. And this, is, this one's more of a broad category because they looked at 13 studies, fasting intervals ranging from 12 to 21 hours in different rodent models and in different human models, mm -hmm. human studies as well. All the rodent fasting regimens were in male mice. I don't really want to talk about that because it's like, okay, maybe, right? But when they looked at for, for this, which is interesting, is... When they looked at the human studies, the human trials, and, and since then, there's been dozens and dozens more that would fit this category. Oh, yeah. Two of the crossover studies found significant reductions in weight. 29 men prescribed a nighttime fasting interval of 11 hours. Let's just pause there for a second. 11 hours. <laughs> Don't eat from eight to seven. 
All right. Come on. 2.1% weight loss. Okay. I mean, it's better than 0%. Sure. Right? Another crossover study reported 4.1% weight loss effect of consuming a single meal in the afternoon for each day for eight weeks without calorie restriction. And they compared it with an isocaloric diet consumed as three meals per day, meaning oh, that's uh, cool. same, same amount of calories, right? Mm-hmm. No calorie restriction. The one meal per day condition, reductions in glucose, improvements in LDL and HDL. Mm. Although hunger was reported higher in the morning, the fasting regimen was considered acceptable because there were no mean changes of measurements of tension, depression, anger, vigor, fatigue, or confusion. So uh, this is the, is fasting dangerous? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're not going to like, your blood sugar is not going to drop low and you're going to faint, right? Yeah. Or you're going to lose focus in all of a momentary pause of dementia, right? Like yeah. blood sugar hypoglycemia is very rare unless you have some type of pancreatic tumor or you're on blood sugar lowering medications because you're a mm. diabetic, right? There might be a couple other small caveats out there, but the long-term metabolic benefits with eating or not eating breakfast, that is, you know, the research really showed that there's benefit to playing around with where you put your meal timings in your windows. And that's something that we talk about a lot. Mm-hmm because the individualness of this and how your body responds, right? So we like to say that a 24-hour fast today or a 36-hour fast once a week is not going to be the same as the next time you do a 36-hour fast. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, But one of the really cool things is there's a few different outcomes here with regard to weight. But even when the weight was, okay, I want to say, quote unquote, only 2%, 2 2.1%, you know, weight loss, there were countless benefits happening underneath the hood right there that you didn't necessarily know. And especially if you're, it's not like you can get like tap into, you know, what your LDL or HDL is, you know, on a, on kind of a day-to-day basis, you don't know what it is like in in real time. But at the same time, if the scale's not necessarily moving, it's just another encouragement point. There's countless fasting research done that shows all kinds of benefit that you don't, you don't really pick up on the scale. And if those benefits are happening and your, your health is, is improving, even when the scale's not, that's a really good thing. And it's a reason to keep going with fasting. But sometimes we look to the scale and that if that's our only point of feedback, it can feel like, oh, well, I, I guess this isn't working right now. And so maybe that pushes you away from it. But right. we, you, yeah, that, that's the exact opposite of what we want. The variability here is something I want to talk about. All right, Tommy, last conversation that we're going to have today is mm-hmm. about this circadian biology, right? So we're going to be looking at this wake feeding cycle versus the sleep fasting cycle. And if you want to know more about the gut microbiome and how metabolism and blood sugar and how all of that is is affected with fasting, feel free to grab the link and go down that rabbit hole. As we mentioned, not an area that we focus on and I don't want to speak above my pay grade, but the time of day plays a major part in integrating metabolism and energetics as well as physiological indices such as hormonal secretion, physical coordination and sleep. And we know, Tommy, one night of poor sleep, 30% dysregulation of your meta- metabolic ability to process yep. glucose and glycogen. Yep. It shows up as an increase in insulin resistance the next day, the very next day. Immediately. And it, yeah. And we're not talking three hours of sleep. We're talking if you go from seven to six or six to four, five and a half. Yeah. Like not these big, we're talking like an hour difference. Go to bed an hour yeah. earlier, right? It's crazy. Yeah, because how we intuitively think about it is that the sleep, like our recovery is going to be proportioned to the amount of sleep. So we think, okay, if it's just, if it's two hours less, then maybe that would be a 25% reduction in recovery. But what we really see is the fact that there are certain parts of our sleep cycle that start from the evening time and then go all through the sleep cycle. And if we miss one of those checkpoints, 
the whole rest of the cycle is actually thrown off. So there are certain parts of the efficiency of our sleep where just a 25% reduction in the amount of time can actually be up to an 80% reduction in the amount of rejuvenation or the amount of hormone release that comes out at a very specific time during this cycle. And it, and it will take at least a day, another nights of good rest to actually make up for that. So if you feel like you're doing everything right, but still the needles don't seem to be moving, look at your sleep because it's actually a very, very under-examined part of this process and part of overall metabolic health and efficiency. So if we just go through, you know, a wake feeding cycle, right? So you wake up at 6 a.m., rise in blood, blood pressure, melatonin secretion stops, testosterone is the highest, highest, you know, you're awake, you're you're moving into the the most awake and what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, um, like neurologically energy. active. Yeah, an energy burning part of your day, yeah. right? So you've got glycolytic metabolism of the muscle, you've got lipogenesis and fat breakdown, you've got adiponectin production, insulin secretion, you know, all the gut stuff taking place, right? In terms mm -hmm. of your, your glycogen, cholesterol, bile, acid synthesis, digestion, et cetera. And then you kind of hit the, you know, the, the mid afternoon and in the mid afternoon for me is the greatest time, you know, three, four, five o'clock is when I like to work out. I feel the strongest, you get highest mm -hmm. blood pressure, how do your body temperature rises? cholesterol elevates in the evening, which is one of the reasons why, you know, we have, you know, if you want to really move your labs and decrease your insulin resistance and increase your insulin sensitivity, moving your meals earlier in the evening, melatonin mm. starts and then you sleep, right? And then during sleep, you've got your liver is active, right? Burning the glycogen, storing the extra energy if you have it, hopefully burning and recovering your fat, you've got more lipid catabolism, right? Back in the day, if I had a poor night of sleep, I knew the scale would go up the next day. Like I could, mm -hmm. I would have bet millions of dollars on it because I knew it every <laughs> single time, right? Yeah. And then your muscle goes through oxidative metabolism. So when we're talking about sleep and hunger and fasting, it was interesting to see some of their conclusions that reported, you know, nighttime eating is associated with reduced sleep duration and poor sleep quality. Duh, have a 100%. big meal and go to bed. That can yep. directly lead to insulin resistance and increased risks of obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. It's a direct relationship. One night of poor sleep, 30% decrease in your body's ability to handle and yep. process energy the next day. Even if it fits your macros, even if yeah. it fits your calorie count. Even if it's intuitively so. done. Yeah. And I'm talking to to myself 20 years ago when I was tracking yeah. them, but I'm, then I was still getting the point. Yeah. My night, <laughs> my sleep sucked. I woke up today and I was like, oh, I'm so hungry. Yeah. But like how many times did I have a later meal that it, I would have been much better off just skipping that meal? But I was right. like, well, the, the calories are fine. So the scale will be fine. The scale wasn't fine. I didn't feel fine. My rest wasn't fine. Nothing was fine about it, you know, but I was putting this over. I was overstressing the machinery right into the sleep cycle. And then it messed with the whole the whole rejuvenation process. Hey, Whoop, if you're listening, we'd love to partner with you. I've been right. a loyal customer for multiple <laughs> years, forced into it by my wife. I have a kitty sticker. You can't see this because it's a, a an oh, audio yeah, it's medium. Nice. No, I see it. I have, a, I have a little kitty oh. with a cherry sticker. Right. Uh, How that get there? Whoop. I don't know why it's still there. It's been there for months, dude. Cold plunges, <laughs> showers, pool, yeah, golf, just workouts. It's still there. Yeah. My daughter loves it. It's um, a tank, so huh? Whoop, <laughs> we're listening. So. Specifically eating meals at abnormal circadian times, right? Late at night, especially snacking mm -hmm. can also disrupt that circadian rhythm. So when I started looking, going down my path of, of getting healthy again, even though I was doing a lot of the things right, macros, working out, tracking all of those different types of things, my stress mm -hmm. and my sleep were completely out of whack. So I would skip breakfast often. I would crash in the mid afternoon. I would rely on caffeine. <laughs> 
we tested and we thought it was my adrenals. My adrenals were fine. It was my melatonin production was crap. Tried melatonin. That was only a short-term solution. Like it was crazy until a CGM and Dr. Fung and your guidance of, hey, mm. have you tried consistently fasting? And I'm like, well, I do some intermittent fasting and keto and you know, that didn't really work. But this sleep component is so incredibly helpful because that is when your body rests and recovers. Yeah, it's true. I didn't want to see it either because I I, I'm one of those like, honor. I know I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I can pull an all nighter, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so just seeing that can be a little tough, but I'll say that the other thing that, that got you a lot of those results were, was the consistency because, you yes. know, really it's almost cliche, right? But yeah. you, you, Oh, what's you the kinda, magic pill? Be right. consistent. Oh, how did you do it? I just did it when I didn't want to. And I'm not saying we're perfect, man. I'm not throwing right. stones from right. it. I don't even have a glass house. I'm just naked in the woods, right? Like, <laughs> I just, you can see everything. I got nothing to hide, right? Like, not even throwing stones from a glass house. I'm just out yeah. there, right? Yeah, Sorry yeah. for the visual. Hopefully, you don't know me, so you don't have that problem. But this is a PG-13 podcast, so we'll just right. shuffle along here. No, like, that's so funny. Right? So, it's, it's just when you think about it, like, you know, it's just crazy the different perspective shift. Yeah, because you have to to realize, hey, you know what? Probably there are probably it's not just one thing that I need to like start working on or get a little bit better at. It's probably going to be multifaceted. It doesn't mean I have to get everything right all at once or all today or it has to all be perfect. But probably eventually I might reach a point where I just don't feel like I'm, I'm moving the needle anymore. OK, well, right. maybe it's time to come back and, and take a look at some of these other factors like like the sleep or, you know, what my fasting schedule is and and and, and all these kind of things that, that work together towards my metabolic yeah. you know effects. Absolutely. And that's kind yeah. of the takeaway of today's episode. So if sleep's your thing, work on it. If stress is your thing, work on it. If consistency is your thing, work on it. The beauty of what we just talked about is that there's so much variability in the effectiveness of fasting. It mm. can be applied to any situation wherever you are. You don't need special meal plans and shopping lists and diet strategies and coaches. Like right. you can literally do it anywhere, anytime. And that's the power of fasting. So takeaway today, Tommy, I would say from my side of things is pick one thing. If you're looking for guidance, head to the show notes, grab the blueprint to fasting for fat loss, yeah. head to the show notes, click the link to come join us in the Facebook, the Fasting for Life Facebook community. Go join check us out in the next challenge. Sense. Yeah, join yeah. us in the next challenge, right? Like engage, you know, go grab the CGM, do it. I recommend doing it for a few months minimum because you're yeah. going to get some really cool data. And it's not just for diabetics. It's for this, this health and wellness perspective. Sure. But we want you to take an action that fits where you are and doesn't create a gap from like, oh, I got 50 pounds to lose. Where do I start? Take a step, a step. Pick one of yeah. the things we said today. Take a step. If anything resonated with you, that's the takeaway for me, Tommy. There you go. Just do it. Take that step. Don't delay. Do it now. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. All right, man. Thank you for the conversation. Appreciate it as always. Almost slipped there. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day -day life. While you're there, download your free fast start guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.